Well, I'm surprised you let me come back. <clears throat> Seemed like uh, last year when I was here, I was uh, addressing a very heavy message. Uh, I was talking about climate change. And uh, I think I poured out the passion of my heart, and I know that my message goes contrary to the stream of what goes on today. Uh, so today I felt like, well, I need to lighten up a little bit. And... Uh, do something maybe just a little bit different, something to encourage you. So uh, the title of the message is A Message from a Wise Guy. That's right, Message from a Wise Guy. I want you to know I have a hat that gives you a little insight. It says in here, Veil, the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> no, the message isn't from me. <laughs> uh, but the message is actually going to be coming today from Solomon. And uh, it's in the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, to help us to understand Ecclesiastes, I know it's a very confusing book to a lot of individuals. But when we understand what he's doing in the book of Ecclesiastes, it helps understanding the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes was written when Solomon was in his latter years of his life. And he's looking back over his life, reflecting upon the beginning when it starts out in chapter 1. And reflecting over the things that he'd learned through the years. And now he's at a point, he wants to pass these things on to the generations of the past. As well as affirm the generations that are passing. And in that same process, well, oftentimes I have said, I wished I knew going into the army what I knew when I came out of the army. Because then going into the army would have been so much easier than it was. Because you know, when I went into the army, they scream at you, they get in their face, they yell at you, do everything, you know, and, you, and you're terrified, you don't know whether you can move, you don't, you don't know what to do, you know. But by the time you get out of the army, you realize they can scream and holler and yell as much as they want, and you just stand there and look at them. And they're not gonna do much. Yeah, and a lot of other things like that. How many here who are on the latter end of your life would like to have known, would like to be able to know the things you know now back when you were young? How many would have liked to have known those things? Ah, uh, look at that. Young people, look around, see that. They, they say, boy, would it not have made some difference in your life today? Because you look back and say, aha. Well, here we come to the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon is writing, one, to give an, uh, an encouragement or an, uh, an admonition, if you would, to young people. And an acknowledgement to the aging, an admonition to the young people. It's kind of giving some advice to the young people here. Now, I'm smart enough to know that you can tell somebody that is young, even old, you can tell them these are the things we ought to do, and you listen, but you don't really listen. You do like a lot of married men do. A lot of married men know the two magic words. I understand you just got married. Have you learned the two magic words? Most of these men here know. If I ask them to say, what are the two magic words? They would say, yes, dear. Right? And then what? You go about doing what you want to do anyway. All right? Well, so it is. Uh, Solomon is giving some very good practical insight and wisdom to young people. And he is saying and encourages. Now, I know 
and I encourage you in all sincerity, please listen and by the grace of God, take to heart what is being said. Now I say that with a full understanding that this philosophy is, it won't happen to me exist. It'll happen to somebody else, but it won't happen to me. Well, don't kid yourself. It will happen to you too. And this is a biblical truth. This is a principle. So there's an admonition here to young people. But then there's also uh, a word of encouragement to the seniors, to the aging. Do we have anybody here who would consider yourself to be aging? <laughs> ah, there are a few of us. I debated on whether to share this bit of encouragement to you. But I just figured I'd better put a smile on your face before I wipe it off. Says, I discovered my age group. I'm a teenager, a senior teenager. I have everything that I wanted as a teenager only 55, 60 years later. I don't have to go to school to work or work. I get an allowance every month. I have my own pad. I don't have a curfew. I have a driver's license and my own car. Then he says, uh, would go farther here. And I don't have acne. Life is good. <laughs> also, you will feel much more intelligent after reading this if you're a teenager. Brains of older people are slow because they know so much. <laughs> people do not decline mentally with age. It just takes them longer to recall facts because they have more information in their brains. Scientists believe this also makes you hard of hearing as it puts pressure on your inner ear. <laughs> as older people often go to another room to get something, when they get there, they stand there wondering what they came for. <laughs> it is not a memory problem. It is nature's way of making older people do more exercise. I have more friends I should send this to, but right now I can't remember their names. So please, forward this to your friends. They may be my friends too. Anyway, just a word of acknowledgement here and encouragement here to those of us who are on the aging process. But he does give some things here to be an encouragement here to those of us who are on the aging. So we have all spectrums. We have the practical admonition to those that are young, somewhere in between, and those who recognize that we're in the aging end of things. And so Ecclesiastes, in his reflection, he's beginning to share these things. Now, how do I understand the book of Ecclesiastes? Somebody said, you're gonna do the Ecclesiastes? I said, yeah. I said, how many weeks are you gonna do it? I said, I'm gonna do it in one message. How are you gonna do that? I said, I'll show you. Here it is. Now, here's, a, here's an outline to understand the progression of the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, I'm not going to dwell on it this way, but the first two chapters, you see his frustration. Second, third, third and fourth chapter, he's beginning to figure it out. In the fifth chapter, through one through seven, he sees faith is important. And in chapter five, eight through chapter six, he sees the futility of riches. Then he sees in chapter eight and verse nine, and chapter nine, the faithfulness is called for. Chapter 10, foolishness exists. And the final analysis in chapter 11 and 12. Now let me sum that up in four simpler points that you can remember. Four major points. One is passing quickly. Two is pursuit of things. 
Three is pause to consider or ponder. And then four is practical advice. In the book of Ecclesiastes, if you have it there, we're going to be looking at it some. In Ecclesiastes, we see here it's passing quickly. I want to read here in Ecclesiastes, first of all, chapter 3 and verse 1 through 7. And if you have that, you can follow along. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. And some of you, there was a song written about this. It says, to everything there is a season, a time to every purpose under the sun, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get, and a time to lose. A time to keep, a time to cast away. A time to tear, and a time to sow. A time to keep silent, and a time to speak. And then in verse 11 he says this. He hath made everything beautiful in its time. Also he has set eternity in their hearts so that no man can find out the work of God maketh from the beginning to the end. God has placed eternity in the heart of every man. Every one of us have a sense of being that we are going to live forever. Where is life beyond the grave? We all have that sense of eternity inside of our heart. And so as we look at that, then I want you to consider what the very first verse, the first two verses here say. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. It wasn't until I began to find out what this word vanity actually meant. The word vanity means vapor. Vapor. What he's saying, time is passing quickly. It's vanity. It's a vapor. It's here like the mist in the morning and it's gone. In the book of James in chapter 4 and verse 14 it says this. Whereas you know not what shall be on the next day. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then it vanishes away. And so here he says 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes he uses the word vanity. 38 times he's making reference to these things are like a vapor. They're here and they're gone. They pass quickly. Now, I would have you know it's later than you think. I had found an article. I was speaking at uh, my high school class reunion. I go find it now. I lose stuff just on purpose, I think. Oh, here it is. I was at my high school class reunion, my 55th class reunion, the graduating class of 1968. And so I was going to be sharing with them, and I said, it's later than you think. It says this, it's later than you think. Everything is farther away now than it used to be. It's twice as far to the corner, and they added a hill. I've noticed I've given up running for the bus, it leaves faster than it used to. It seems to me they are making steps steeper than in the old days. And have you noticed a smaller print they use in the newspapers? There's no sense asking anyone to read aloud. Everyone speaks in such a low voice 
I can scarcely hear them. Even people are changing. They are much younger than they used to be when I was their age. That's true, isn't it? Mm -hmm. This is true. On the other hand, people my age are much older than I. I ran into an old classmate, remember this is my sixth, the graduating class of 1968, and I'm reading this to them, and I'm reading this. And I ran into an old classmate the other day, and she had aged so much, she didn't remember me. I got to thinking about the poor, poor thing while I was combing my hair this morning. I glanced in the mirror at my reflection, and it confounded. They don't make mirrors like they used to either. <laughs> Simply said, time really is passing quickly. When I stood there at the class of 1968, I looked at it and I said, where did the time go? Where did it go? Now, many will understand what I'm saying. Young people, you'll hear me and not really get this. But those who are older, you'll get this. When as a child, I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth, I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. When older still, I daily grew, time flew. Now, time's gone. How many can relate to that? Boy, it passes quickly. No time at all. There was a song back in the 60s, the late 60s. I was going to school, and I remember the first time I heard this song. How many of you are familiar with the song, Cats in the Cradle? All right. Now, how many young people have no idea what Cats in the Cradle is? Would you raise your hand? All right. I just, just be honest a little bit. You know, you're in church. Honesty won't hurt. You don't have to know everything. I don't know anything. So anyway, Cats in the Cradle, the first time I heard it, I encourage you to, to Google it up and listen to it. It's a powerful song because when I heard it, I was probably almost uh, in my late 20s and, I, and I'm standing in this person's house and they said, you got to hear this song. And they played it, Cats in the Cradle. And it was about the songs about a, a father who with his son, his son was saying, dad, let's do this, let's do that. He said, son, I don't have time, I don't have time. And, his, and the song goes on and near the end of the song, now the, the father, he's looking back and he's saying, He's saying, hey, son, why don't you do this? And the son says, sorry, dad, I don't have time. Time went away. There is an article. I encourage you to try to look it up and find it and read it. It's worth the time to do it, to read it. It'll challenge you. It's a sermon all by itself. It's only three pages long. It's called The Tyranny of the Urgent. The Tyranny of the Urgent. Some of you are familiar with it. The Tyranny of the Urgent, and the sum of it is this. We get so caught up doing the urgent things that sometimes the most important things go undone. The Tyranny of the Urgent. Look it up. Write it down. Make a note. Check it out. If you're young, for sure, check it out. The Tyranny of the Urgent. It was told of a woman who was... uh, looking, saving her money so she could go on a train ride through the landscape and enjoy the scenery and see all the beauty. And she, she got her ticket, she gets on the train, and as the train starts down this trip, because she can see all the scenery, she starts fiddling around with this, and she fiddles around with that, and she fiddles. And before long, the train ride is all over, and she's there at the end of it. And the time had passed, and she didn't get to enjoy anything. She was fiddling with everything, and she didn't get to enjoy the trip. And sometimes I think we are the same ways. We get so caught up in doing so many things that we don't take time to enjoy and appreciate what we have. 
time. So passing quickly. His theme is passing quickly. And all of us should know that. The second thing is the pursuit of things. In chapter 1 and verse 14, he says here, all is vanity and grasping at the wind or like chasing the wind. It's vanity. When we're pursuit of things, it's like chasing the wind. How many of you have ever chased the wind? You ever caught it? I, you know, it's impossible to chase the wind. The, the idea of chasing the wind or grasping the wind or hold on to it. We can't hold on to these things. You can chase it and do all the things you want, all the things, but you can't hold on to it. The story was told of a fellow who was going to take all of his wealth to heaven with him. And so he knew he was going to die. So he put it all in the attic and he told his wife, when I die, I'm going to go up and I'm on the way up. I'm taking all of my wealth with me to glory. A few weeks went by. She thought, hmm, I think I'll go and check. She went and looked in the attic. Lo and behold, everything was still there. She says, I knew it. He went the other way. <laughs> well, the truth is, we can't take it with us. In any way, shape, no form. In chapter 2 here, verse 9 and verse 10, a very telling, a very important part of understanding this book. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. And my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from me. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion in all of my labor. He said, I had everything. Here is a man who had everything he could ever want. If he wanted wealth, he had wealth. He wanted power, he had power. He wanted fame, he had fame. He had fortune. He wanted pleasure. If he wanted any kind of pleasure that he wanted, he could enjoy wine, women, and song, and dance, and party. He had everything. And what did he say? <laughs> it's vanity. It's vanity. I talked to a person we were traveling to and from Augusta. And the man was telling me about how that he had been at a casino and how he had won $70,000. Now $70,000, go back 20 some years, was a little more than what it is today. So he had won $70,000. And he said, you know, after I'd won that $70,000, I was thinking, boy, that was gonna be it. That was everything. And he said, as he's walking up the stairway back to his motel or his hotel room. He's walking with his $70,000 that he has as he's walking up there. He said, it was empty. It was empty. It didn't do what he thought it would do. It was empty. So the wealth and those things didn't really satisfy. And there was another, how many have ever heard of the name Elvis Presley? <laughs> Anybody here never heard of Elvis Presley? I'm just, I don't, honestly, no one here has never heard of Elvis. Everybody knows Elvis Presley. Well, let me tell you about it. Yes, thank you. An honest lad. And I appreciate that. All right. Elvis Presley. He's the name, you know, that everybody here for the most part knows Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley was a man in some ways much like Solomon. He had everything. He had fame. He had fortune. He had all kinds of things all about him. And he had won some kind of an award and a recognition and a big uh, gathering on his behalf. And then after he was leaving and he was going out the back door, somebody asked him the question. They say, Elvis, Elvis, how do you feel? 
And his answer was lonely. Lonely. Here's a man who had everything, and he was lonely. You see, things, money, wealth, power, fame, fortune, they vanish. They will not, they will not satisfy the longing of the heart. And then he goes ahead, we need to pause to consider. First of all, we recognize, he's saying, things passing quickly. Pursuit of things, vanishing. Then he says, pause to consider. In chapter 5, verse 1 through 7, he talks about the value of faith, how faith is important. In verse 1, he says, thy foot, when thou goest into the house of God, be more ready to hear than to give sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. He said, faith is important. When, when you come into the house of God, one translation said, when you come into the house of God, shut up and listen. I thought, boy, that's kind of bold. But shut up and listen. But he's basically saying, be careful what you do. I was thinking what it said in Matthew chapter 21, verse 28, 29. Jesus was telling the story. He was talking about these two, two people that one, the master had asked the one and said, would you go and do such a thing? And the person said, yes, I'll do it. But they didn't go. And he asked the other one, he said, will you go and do it? And he says, no, I won't. But he later repented and he did. And said, here, I think about this in the context of here, there's a person who will come into the house of God and make a big boast. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And then doesn't do it. And God says here in his word, he said, yeah, you'd be better off to go, to sit, to listen, to listen. Faith is important. In the first seven verses, he talks about faith is important. And then in verse eight, through verse uh, on, he, he talks about the futility of riches. He says, he that loveth silver shall never be satisfied with silver. Nor he that loveth abundance with the increase, this also is vanity. You say, he who loves silver will never be satisfied with silver. Is there any kind of food that you like that doesn't really satisfy, but you love it? I can name one. I like an ice cream sandwich. You know, that little wafer on the, you know, I can eat one of those things. And after I eat it, you would think it would satisfy no, 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 no. I've got to have another one. <laughs> and then another one. And I could just keep eating and eating. And they'll never, ever really satisfy. I don't know about you. I used to have a snow cone route back when I was in Tennessee going to school. Had a little truck and it had a little music on it. Go ding, 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 ding. The kids and everybody would all come out, you know. Of course, the dogs would come out too and ran over one or two of those. Anyway, well, it wasn't my fault. I mean... <laughs> And that's another whole story. But, uh, well, one time I stopped and uh, had the door open. I jumped out and do my thing, you know, and I got back. I didn't get back in the thing. And I got in the truck and I shut the door. And all of a sudden, one of those little dogs or something had jumped in there and started jumping around. Woo! Boy, it scared me to death, I tell you. But anyway, the snow cone, what it is, it's a flavored water with a lot of sugar. And I could drink as much of that all day long for eight, nine hours I could drink that. But do you think it would ever satisfy? It never satisfied. It tastes good, but it didn't satisfy. And what he was saying here, as much as you get wealth and all of these things, they will not satisfy the longing of the heart. It doesn't work. It won't. And then he says here to think about our fate. Our fate. In chapter 7, this is so important. In chapter 7, verse 1 and verse 2. He said, a good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death 
than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of fasting, feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living lay it to his heart. You know, what he said? He said, you're better off to go to a funeral than you are to go to a party. How many would prefer going to a party? Raise your hand. But he said, you're better off to go to a funeral. Can anybody understand why he would say you're better off to go to a funeral than to a party? It's like this. Now, we've been to many funerals, and I can tell many folks here have as well. But, you know, when you go to a funeral, it causes you to pause, to ponder, to think about where would I be? Or where is that person? When I see on television some celebrity or some politician, they have a big gathering, you know, to sell, to recognition and honor of the person who has passed away. And I listen to all of the eulogies. You know what I'm listening for? I'm not listening to see, oh, he was a great man. He did this. He did this. Well, it's okay, those things are important. That's good. But I'm listening to find out where is his faith? Did that person know Christ as their savior? Where are they today? And when you go to a funeral, you stop and it causes you to stop and think about life and where it's headed and what eternity has. We begin to think about the eternal things when we go to a funeral. Now you go to a party, you're not thinking about anything. You're not thinking about tomorrow, you're not thinking about this, you're just having a good time, you're having a party. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to a party, but he's saying that you're going to glean more that way, going to a funeral. It was said of Albert Einstein, I just, Einstein, I just heard this uh, recently, that Albert Einstein used to travel a train uh, to and fro, fro many a times. And on one occasion, he was on the train going to some place, and the conductor came by to get his ticket. And uh, he looked around, and he couldn't find his ticket. And the conductor said, don't worry about it, Albert. He said, that's all right. I know who you are. You're okay. Don't worry about it. And he said, well, I'm looking. She said, don't worry about it. It's okay. I know who you are. And then the conductor went down and, and he looked and there's Einstein looking all over the place, looking for everything. And the conductor went back and says, Albert, I told you, you don't have to worry about it. It's all taken care of. You know, you, you don't need the ticket. He says, well, he said, that's not the problem. The problem is I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> and you know what? When we come to the graveside and we come to this, uh, the funeral, we have to pause and ask, where are we going? And that's what he's saying here in chapter 7. We need to think about where we are going. And then he comes down to the practical advice. And I know I'm skipping over a lot of stuff here, but the practical advice comes here in chapter 11. Uh, verse 9. And this is what he says to our young people. He says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. Walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes, and know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from thine heart and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. And remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw near, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. What he's saying here to young people, young people, raise your hand. Everybody that considers yourself young, I'm finding out who doesn't think. Oh, there we go. We got a few of them here. Okay. What he says here, he says, enjoy your youth. Enjoy your energy. Enjoy 
the things that you can enjoy, have a good time. I used to be able to run a whole lot more than I can now. I remember having a race with, uh, I believe it was one of my grandsons, it was Isaac. We were on a cruise, and I said at that time that I could still outrun Isaac. Now, I'm not sure how old he was, but we, were, we found a hallway and said, okay, I'm going to race you. I'm going to beat you. Now, here I am. We're lined up, ready to go, and I'm taking off, and I think I'm going to beat him. But one of these rascals sitting over here, I'm not sure whether it's Evan or William, they didn't want me to win, and they jumped in my way and tripped me up, so I lost. <laughs> well, that was then. Today... I wouldn't even challenge Isaac to a race. He can far excel me. And there are things that you used to be able to do, and those of us with white hair, that we used to be able to do, and we know we can't do those anymore. But when you're young, you can do those things. And he's saying, enjoy your youth. Solomon, the wise guy, said, enjoy your youth, your energy, your vitality. Have a good time. Make the most of it. He said, but remember this. Remember your creator. There are consequences for the things that you do, the decisions that you make. Because one day, he says, and he goes on here, he says, one day, your age is going to catch up with you. For example, if you do not take care of your teeth in your youth, you may lose them in your future, as well as many other things. So if we abuse our body. Now, you know, one of the things that happens with the uh, the aging process, I don't want to say old age, but you know, we have people that move in and live with us that were uninvited and we can't get rid of them. And some of you have them living with you right now. You would like to kick them out, but they won't go. The name's Charlie, Ben, and Arthur. Charlie Horse, Ben Gay, and arthritis. They move in. They come to stay. And I, I won't get into any of that. And then he begins to proceed this portion of scripture. Where he starts talking about. In that day when the keepers of the house shall tremble. Any of you ever heard of Parkinson's disease? Parkinson's disease. People begin to do this. I'm finding more and more people do it. Now I'm going to give the analogy of what he's saying. Rather than read these texts. But it goes on. He says first of all. That you're going to come to the age. When the age. Be, uh, the hand begins to shake. Remember now. I'm talking to the class of 1968. And we're seeing all of the signs. Of what I'm talking about right here. And some of those signs. Are probably evident right here. But there was a, the shaking of the hand. And then the, the timbers. The, the legs begin to bow. They're not quite as sturdy as they used to be. And then we find the grinders are few. Has anybody ever lost any of the grinders? All right, don't raise your hand. I know we have. Some of them have replaced a whole set of them. But the grinders are few, so we're losing some of our teeth. The eyesight's not what it used to be. I didn't used to have to use these kind of things, but I do now. And then it talks about the ears. You know, I have to have some help in my hearing. And as soon as I take these things out and I put them away... My, uh, my wife will say something to me and all of a sudden I'm going, huh? Huh? What'd you say? Say it again? 
Yeah, yeah. None of you have ever had that experience, I trust. But it's happening. So what we do, our eyes, our teeth, our ears, the conversations, and one of the things it talks about, another portion there, it talks about we're beginning to eat soft foods. Why? Because the grinders don't exist anymore. So we're not eating the things like we might have done before. You're waking up early hours. You hear the high thrill voices. High places. I never used to think about high places. But... We had a lady in our church, and she said, you know, you need to put some grips over here on the side doors here. And I, I thought, well, why for? I said, to sturdy people. And, you know, and now time has gone by. I realize that people who are older, believe it or not, young people, you may not think about this, people who are older, you need to be careful around them because if they fall down, it could be a death sentence. It really could. Bones become brittle. They break. Pneumonia sets in. It's a very serious issue. Now, I didn't think about that until I got to a point that somebody pointed that out. And so he's talking about these things are the things that are going to happen. And then he goes ahead and he talks about some other things there, but he talks about the day the silver cord. You know what the silver cord is? That, that's your, your spinal cord. <laughs> that, that's that back. Any of you have any trouble with your backs? Would you raise your hand? Oh, look at here. I wouldn't make you stand up and embarrass yourself, but let everybody know that, hey, it's reality. Having a little bit of back trouble. The class of 68, why they're walking around like this. And they're, they're, everybody's having some back issues. But it wasn't just the back issues. The tech talks about the picture, the circular system. You know, that, that part. I said, any of you here ever have any heart issues? Let's see. Raise your hand. Uh, okay, I've had... Uh, uh, Four stints. I know people with bypass surgery and other kinds of things. And how many taking high blood pressure medicine? And not all. I mean, we can go on, on, on. That you want to have a conversation with somebody that's older? Let me tell you how to do it. Ask them about how their health is. And you know what? They said, "What kind of a social life do you have?" I said, "Well, which doctor you don't want to know about?" You know, that, that's my social life. You know, but really, uh, the the silver cord. And then it talks about the. Uh, the, the circular system. And then when it talks about the bowl, the skull is broken. That talks about bringing to the point of death. It says here in verse 6, Or ever the silver cord is loosened, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. He said, the reality is, we're all headed to the grave, barring the coming of the Lord. And you say, oh, well, that's a long ways off. That's talking about old people. How many know anybody who was young who passed away? Is there a guarantee for anybody who's under the age of 13 that they will not die by some accident or something? There's no guarantees for any. The reality is we need to be prepared. Now he talks about goading. He says there the preacher was wise and he taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and he sought out uh, and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words that which were written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails fastened by the master of assemblies which are given by one shepherd. Now, <laughs> uh, Years gone by, this is before my time, maybe not too much before my time, but you know, in the churches, the preachers used to be long-winded, not me, but they used to be long-winded, and uh, people would have an act for falling asleep, and they had a big feather, 
and they'd have one or two people appointed with a feather. And the purpose of the feather, some of you already know what this is. The purpose of the feather, if somebody fell asleep, that person was to go over and to poke the person with the feather to wake them up so they didn't fall asleep. That was kind of like a goad. And these things here that Solomon is saying, these are goads. All the things he's saying, these are goads to cause us to think. To cause us to think. So he's saying these things here. Then he comes to his conclusion. He comes to the conclusion. And he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it be evil. He says here, this is the conclusion of all this and the reflection of his whole life. This is his wisdom. The wisest man of his day, and there's none wiser after this. So the wisdom that he's passing on is this. He says, to fear God, keep his commandments. In essence, he's saying, you need to know him. As your savior. To know God. The most important thing is to know him. And we know him through the Lord Jesus Christ. I told you about this individual. That I went to uh, Augusta with. And who had won the $70,000. On the way home. He bowed his heart. Asked Christ into his life. He found what he was looking for. He was a prominent individual. In the town of Gray. He went to his house. He has very successful children, millionaires now, very successful. And he sits his children and his wife with his new Bible and he sit there and he called them to the table and he says, I want to tell you what Jesus has done for me. He forgave my sins and he saved my soul. Now their first response was, his wife's response was, if anybody's going to go to heaven, it's going to be me because I've been to every church there is around here. And his family all heard. Wasn't that long they passed away, but they rejoiced where he's at. Now, I say this to say that we need to be careful about prejudging people's salvation. I just had this conversation with somebody, and uh, this is a poem that I just read. It says... I'll read this here. I was shocked, confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's doors, not by the beauty of it all, nor the lights or its decor, but it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp. The thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, and the trash. There stood the kid from the seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Bob, who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus. What's the deal? I would love to hear your take. How'd all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, child, he said. They're all in shock. No one thought they'd be seeing you. I say that with a touch of humor, but I talked to a person the other day and say, you know, we don't know what a person does. People can give their heart to Christ in a moment that we don't know, and they can be there. I, I would share this, and I'll be getting close to shutting up. There was a fellow I had witnessed to time and time and time again. 
And he said he couldn't give his heart to Christ. Well, one day I got a phone call that said that the man had been transported to the hospital and his time was extremely short. So I hurried to the hospital to talk to him because I knew that there wasn't much time and he needed to give his heart to Christ. Well, when I got there, I asked him, I said, Clarence, you've got to give your heart to Christ. You don't have any more time. He said, I can't do it. I said, well, why not? He said, when I fell to the floor, I knew my time had come and I gave my heart to Christ. Had that man died in transit from there to the hospital, I would have thought he was in hell. And I would be wrong. So I share that to share with you this little glimmer of hope, to give you a sense of hope. So there's some very practical wisdom. We need to know him. And then it says to know his word. Now, when I say to know the word of God, to know his word, I'm not just simply saying to be able to say David killed Goliath, etc., etc. I'm talking about knowing the divine principles that help us make wise decisions. What does God say about handling the money? What does God say about marriage? What does God say about his will? What does God say about prayer? What does God say? What promises does God give to us in prayer? And when you see a promise from God in prayer, then you can pray that promise into effect and God works. We need to understand the principles of his word. We don't just read it like a book. You got to read it and meditate. Think about it saying, what does this say to me and how does it apply to my life? In here is wisdom. Now, John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 said, God's commandments are not grievous. They're there for our blessing. And so wisdom is to take this counsel that comes from God's word and apply it to our lives. And we'll have a better life. It's not a life of roses. It doesn't mean you won't have problems. But it means that you'll have a better grasp of life. And you'll have the Lord with you as you go through those things. We need to understand. So yes, know him. To know him. And then to know his word. And it's not enough to know his word. There's another word which really bugs me a whole lot because this is a real big key. And that's a word is to do. Do, D-O. To him to know it to do good and doesn't not. Not going to do any good. So therefore, young people, the admonition from the wisest guy who ever lived, as far as we know, the wise guy says here to pay heed to what he shares here in these words. These are solid principles for life. They will make your life better. And to those of us who are aging, wherever we may be, I close with this. These are the words of a song that I was introduced to. I think it's very appropriate for those of us. It's appropriate for all of us. And it's titled, some of you may have heard it, Don't Blink. How many have ever heard the song, Don't Blink? Just curious. All right, don't blink. I turned on the evening news, saw an old man being interviewed, turning 102 today. Asked him, what's the secret of life? He looked up from his old pipe, laughed and said, all I can say is, don't blink. Just like that, you're six years old and you take a nap and you wake up and you're 25 and your high school sweetheart becomes your wife. Don't blink. You just might miss your babies growing like mine did, turning into moms and dads. Next thing you know, your better half of 50 years is there in bed, and you're praying God takes you instead. Trust me, friend, 
a hundred years goes faster than you think, so don't blink. I was glued to my TV when I looked like he looked at me and said, best start putting things first things first. Because when your hourglass runs out of sand, you can't flip it over and start again. Take every breath God gives you for what it's worth. Don't blink. Because just like that, you're six years old and you take a nap and you wake up and you're 25. And your high school sweetheart becomes your wife. Don't blink. You just might miss your babies growing like mine did. Turning into moms and dads, next thing you know, your better half of 50 years is there in bed and you're praying God takes you instead. Trust me, friend, a hundred years goes faster than you think, so don't blink. So I've been trying to slow it down. I've been trying to take it in. In this here today, gone tomorrow world we're living in, so don't blink, cause just like that, you're six years old and you take a nap and you wake up and you're 25 and your high school sweetheart becomes your wife. Don't blink. You just might miss your babies growing like mine did. Turning into moms and dads, next thing you know, your better half of 50 years is there in bed and you're praying God takes you instead. Trust me, friend, a hundred years goes faster than you think. So don't blink. No, don't blink. Don't blink. Life goes faster than you think. So don't blink. Life goes faster than you think. Don't blink. Don't blink. Life goes faster than you think. What's that say to us? Pause. Appreciate what you have. Take time. Smell the roses. It's passing quickly. It will soon be gone. We'll be home. Don't blink. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'd ask the admonition given to us through Solomon to speak to all of our hearts. Help us, Lord, by your grace not to blink. And Lord, that help us to grow. I ask you, Lord, for these young people, and I fully know, Lord, I fully know I am just like them, I'm sure. I hear what I say. But to do it may be somewhat difficult. Lord, I ask that you would bring these things to mind, give them the grace and the help, protect them, guide them, and use them. And Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come and to share the wisdom from a wise guy. In Jesus' name, amen.